but it's so good to see you all this morning as we gather for worship uh, on this holiday weekend. I hope you are uh, finding a chance to take a deep breath and uh, rest a bit, and yet how good it is to be in this rhythm together as a community to worship this morning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So before we jump into our teaching time, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Revolution Kids. We got Catherine here this morning. This is for kindergarten through fifth grade for a time of teaching. I hope you guys have a great time. I think Logan's already up there. I hope he is. Is he? Oh. Yeah, thank you. It's okay. Those PKs, you got to watch them wandering around places. Okay, always. Yeah. All right, well, our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4. This is verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read that for us this morning as my iPad wakes up. Here we go. Oh, beautiful day. It worked. All right, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." Then Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and we're ministering to him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. So after all of our wilderness stories that we have been journeying through and looking back, reminding ourselves of some of these familiar stories with the Israelites, with Hagar, with Moses and Joshua, last week Naomi and Ruth, it's this week that we find Jesus in the wilderness his own uh, wilderness wandering, if you will. After 40 days of fasting, he's tempted by the devil. Now this account shows up in each of our Gospels. And this is it's pretty, it's a pretty short story. But it shows up in a different order, but in each time the three temptations are the same. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and fall down and worship me. And all of the kingdoms that you see, as far as your eye can see, will be yours. These temptations involve food and and power and political leadership of sorts, ruling over all of the kingdoms of the world. There's one scholar that says these are temptations associated with power and control over and glory. And two of these temptations 
if you remember, begin, if you are the Son of God, with this air of sort of like, then prove it. Because what kind of God or royal or divine being would go hungry? Or what kind of royal or divine being wouldn't trust God the Father to protect you from harm? You can hear that sort of taunting of, well, then prove it. And it's because these temptations from the devil are going right to the heart of Jesus's identity, of who he says he is. And by the way, it was just announced right before this passage who Jesus really is. You might remember at the end of Matthew chapter 3, we have his baptism. Jesus was baptized, and immediately as he came up from the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's hard to argue with that. It's pretty clear. This announcement at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, This is my Son. And the next verse, Immediately he was led to the wilderness by the Spirit and was tempted. By the devil. These temptations are getting to the heart of who Jesus is going to claim he is, of who he really is, calling into question this relationship. And sort of in this wilderness place, we see Jesus working that out. We see him working out his own identity. And what will it mean to be the Son of God? Well, I think it means pretty clearly here that it'll mean two things it'll mean that he trusts the Father. And it will mean obedience to the mission that's been set before him. It means obedience. What does it mean to be the son of God? It will mean to trust God and be obedient to the mission before him. It will not be defined as having privilege and power over and control as he is tempted to. Now what it will mean to be the son of God for Jesus here and throughout his whole ministry will be to trust God and to stay true to his mission. It'll mean humility. It will mean service. And staying obedient to that mission, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. You can see this in kind of each of his responses. He identifies with sort of the humanity and the reliance on God's provision for care in each of these moments kind of solidifying, like, he's going to have to trust in God the Father throughout his whole ministry. Man shall not live by bread alone, he says, but only by the word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. He's identifying his need for provision and care and trust in God the Father. Now, as we already mentioned, throughout this whole series of why we've been doing this sort of tossing and turning, wilderness journeying, is to travel back to some of these stories in Scripture that have been handed down in our canon and in our tradition, hopefully reminding us of how God has shown up and been faithful and provided in each and every account that we have seen. A way I hope to encourage us that in our own moment of wilderness and uncertainty and unknown, when what we once knew we won't return to, and the new reality of where we go next has yet to be revealed. 
And not just as a church, but individually, sort of all those things that keep us up at night, tossing and turning, the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt. These stories that we have visited have reminded us of God's provision, of God's presence each time. How God always showed up in these moments of need to to call and to provide water and food in the desert, quite literally physical sustenance, to make a way where there wasn't a way, to provide a purpose and provision that was for Hagar, to, to call up new leadership and to provide with Moses and Joshua. And all throughout, there was an assurance of God's presence with them. Do not be afraid. I will go with you. And even last week, when we looked at Ruth and Naomi, when God wasn't a, an active character, had no lines in that play, it was God's faithfulness and promise and covenant that were a theme all the way throughout, lived out through the love of Ruth and Naomi. Now in his own wilderness moment here, Jesus shows us what it means to be in relationship with that same God who provided all of those ways for all of those people, the people of God throughout the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus shows us what it means to be called and claimed in the waters of baptism as a child of God. It will mean to trust in God in every moment and to stay true to the mission that's been placed before us. We've also seen throughout these several weeks together that these wilderness places actually provide a pretty important purpose. And their purpose was often in preparing the people for what was to come next. It was a place of waiting for God's next move, a place of learning to trust in God's provision and mercy. It provided a purpose for sure for Israel to establish that covenant relationship with God, to receive the law to be set apart as this holy nation in preparation for what was to come as they entered the Holy Land. And we see here that this wilderness of 40 days in the desert for Jesus serves a clear purpose as well. These 40 days and nights without food, it is Jesus getting ready for what will come next. Because these temptations that he faces here for glory and power and control, they'll continue. The demands constantly presented to Jesus, the expectations of others placed on him to do certain things or be great, these temptations will continue. Even when he, later on in Matthew chapter 16, when he's saying, who do people say that I am? And Peter is responding, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But then he completely rejects the idea that because of that, there's no way that you could suffer and die. And he questions the mission that's been set before Jesus. And what does he say in response? Do you remember? He looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. These temptations for power and control and to go your own way and to not trust in the Father and to not be true to the mission that was set before him, they continue for Jesus. Even up to the point of the cross, when he's being taunted, this is what you call the Son of God? 
In Matthew chapter 27, they say it again, prove it. If you're really the son of God, come down from that cross. Doesn't God even care enough to rescue you? These 40 days in the desert served a purpose for Jesus to solidify his identity as the son of God. Because they would continue even after he left this desert place. And even throughout how this narrative is sort of retold, we see lots of parallels here between Jesus' 40 days and sort of the 40 years for the Israelites in the desert. Not only in that they both served as a place of preparation, there's other parallels as well. First of all, the, the number 40, anytime that you see that in Scripture, you should go like, oh, that's important. Right? Like Noah and his family, they were on the ark for 40 days. I almost said years. No, 40 days. <laughs> Ezekiel had a 40-day experience, right? Any, every time that you see that word 40, you're like, oh, this is, this is an important preparation place. But even in each response that we see Jesus make to these temptations from the enemy, you know, each time he is quoting from the book of law, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7, recalling back to the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and saying things like reminding himself, maybe connecting him to his own ancestral tradition here, that how God provided for all of Israel's physical needs in that wilderness. Even recalling back of of that time when Israel was thirsty and wanted to put God to the test, and that didn't go so well. And, And so he's saying that you should not put the Lord your God to the test, to that second temptation. In Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, you shall not go after other gods. And so Jesus is quoting from the book of law and his tradition and his story, these parallels for the own wilderness journeying, reminding us now as readers that the same God who provided for people out of Egypt will see Jesus through and will see us through to the end of our journey. So as, so as long as we trust in God and stay obedient to the mission that's been placed before us. There's a scholar, David Laus, that says this, Just as Israel emerged from their wanderings, chastened and purified and ready to inherit God's blessings and promises, so also Jesus emerges from his trials, confirmed in his identity, and purified and strengthened for his awaiting mission. There's a major difference here, though. It's probably pretty obvious. Whereas Jesus or sorry, whereas Israel wondered as a punishment for their mistrust for 40 years, lest we soon forget. It's Jesus that as he fasts and is tempted in order to prove his trust in God, that kind of proves his own trustworthiness. So they face sort of these similar situations and and temptations of going through these trials like the Israelites did to trust in God for physical sustenance, and for all of, for you know for power and control for all of these things without putting God to the test but Jesus does it without sin right he does it without doubting without grumbling without compa- complaining without putting God to the test and the way that this story is being told to us now these sort of parallels that we can draw it foreshadows that Jesus is going to be able to accomplish what Israel could not trusting in God in every moment and staying true to the mission that's been placed before them. Because we know pieces of the rest of their story. Even as they entered the promised land, they didn't always stay true 
to the mission set before them. They didn't always trust in God. Remember we talked about judges last week and every judge that came up and the people did what they saw right in their own eyes. It's not a good thing. Jesus is able to complete and fulfill what Israel couldn't do, what we can't do on our own. And this is supposed to sort of catch our attention here that Jesus is up to something new here. He's he's doing something different. He's doing something new. He's opening up a new way to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I think this is important for us to remember this morning because honestly, we've already all probably connected it this morning. These temptations associated with food or power and political leadership, these temptations that we might feel to get all the glory, to have control over our situations, to have some semblance of power in this chaotic world that we live in, those are temptations that we face every day. It might not be as explicit as an enemy coming and having a dialogue with him. Now, the the day-to-day trials that we face, these temptations, they're a little sneakier now. They appeal to your human nature and character to, to want to have this sort of control. I mean, we all want to change the world, right? We all want to have influence and, and impact. We all want to make a difference in the world. And the sneaky part comes when sometimes we think that we're doing that in the name of Jesus, when really we're not, when really we're doing it for ourselves or for our own ego or assurance or to feel good, right? It's sneaky. It's tricky. It's hard to parse out. But the temptations we see Jesus face here are ones that we actually face every day as well. We all want to be great. (laughs) We all want to feel like we have ourselves together. I know I like control. It's hard to come by, isn't it? (laughs) Doesn't mean we don't try. When the system is under stress... As we see Jesus under stress after 40 days in the desert without food. Man was hungry. When the system is under stress, we can find ourselves in desert places, the wilderness. In the midst of uncertainty and change and fear of the state of our world today, we can find our systems under stress. Anxieties in the system. And when we find ourselves in those places, how, how easy is it? How how tempting is it to turn to quick fixes that look like the real thing, that look like the good thing, that look like they're going to solve all of our questions and problems. But to what end? You know, it's kind of tricky. See how the devil works here? Because he says, Jesus, why don't you just turn, if you're so hungry, why don't you turn these stones to bread? Reasonable. We know that he's able to Because in just a few chapters later, he feeds thousands with just a couple loaves and a few fish. What's the difference? Well, the difference is to what end? To who gets the glory? I love the last temptation. Not really, that's, you know, being sarcastic. Of like, who who does the enemy think he is that he can be like, Look at all of these kingdoms. As far as your eye can see, Simba will be yours, right? I mean, that's like in essence what he's doing, right? 
<clears throat> excuse me. But who does the devil think he is that he even has the authority to give Jesus? You're like, this is the son of God. We know that he has authority because at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, now in the spirit, disciples, I give it to you to go and make disciples in the name of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are tricky because if you think about it from Jesus' perspective, oh yeah, well that is what Jesus is able to do. But he can't look to a quick fix in the beginning of his ministry. He has to solidify his identity as the Son of God and trust in God the Father and stay true and obedient to the mission that's been placed before him. It's not time yet. And also, who gets the glory? Not the enemy. It's good reminders for me this week that too often in life, we want a quick fix. And we have to be wise and discerning to look at the situation and say, is this fix glorifying God or glorifying me and my thirst for power and control? Is this fix serving the mission of the kingdom of God or is this solution building my kingdom? It's tricky, isn't it? I love what another scholar says. I know this is long, but it's good. The promise of the gospel is that the one who is with you always, even to the end of the age, has already gone ahead of his followers, even to the most forsaken places of the wilderness, and he meets them in the most difficult tests of their own lives. No place is so desolate, so distant, or so challenging that Jesus has not already been there. No test or temptation is so great that Jesus has not already overcome it. Further, Jesus' encounter with the devil represents in many ways his encounter with the cultural pressures of his day. How does one respond to very real physical and spiritual needs? What does it look like to trust God in this context? What are appropriate uses of authority and power that serve the world by serving God? That last question should give us pause. What are appropriate uses of authority and power? And the land of the free and opportunity and so much privilege that many of us enjoy. We see power used in all kinds of different ways for control, for political leadership, for fear. And friends, it would be so tempting to follow those patterns into success. You hear me? But whose power are we seeking? What power are we seeking? Whose kingdom are we seeking to build? And what's an appropriate use of all of the authority in heaven on earth that Jesus says has been given to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ? I think we can find comfort and strength in knowing that Jesus, just as we saw in every single story we've been through so far, there was a promise of God's presence and assurance of Okay, it's going to get crazy out there, but don't worry. I will be with you. Do not fear. Follow the cloud, right? Follow the pillar of flame. That would be really helpful right now. That's not in here, but that would be helpful. 
But now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and he's come and walked the earth and shown us the way and gone before us and overcome every single temptation we will ever face, either now or in the future. And he promises to be with us even to the end of the age. Which means that even though Israel may not have been successful in being able to accomplish all that was set before, and yes, we still mess up and we sin, but it's possible now because of Jesus Christ. It's possible now for us to trust in God in every moment and to stay true and obedient to the mission that's placed before us, no matter what temptation to quick fix we might face. Because here's the truth, right? In the kingdom of God, there, there are no quick fixes to the kingdom of God. There are no shortcuts. Only a way of sacrifice and humility and self-giving love to a kingdom of peace and justice There are no quick fixes. We can't hurry off. And Jesus actually shows us this way. He shows us how to, be, how to trust in God and stay true to his mission by trusting in the presence of Christ and the spirit that will be with us. Did you see? In the, it's sort of sandwiched there in the beginning and end of our passage. It begins with the spirit led him into the wilderness, and then at the end, and the spirit came and ministered to his needs. The Spirit was with him in the wilderness, and the Spirit is also with us. If we have eyes to see and courage to turn to that power above our own. Jesus shows us this way of enduring in these times of trials because he shows us a way to be in relationship with God the Father, that identity and that claim of our baptism as well, what it means to be a child of God. And he also shares with us later that power of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, which I talk about a lot, he, he calls this sort of an, a way of abiding, of being in relationship. And friends, let's just be honest. Abiding like this and living the way of Jesus like this, it takes time. It takes modeling Jesus' life. It takes knowing ourselves. It takes knowing God so that we can be obedient to the mission of Christ that's now been placed before us. Jesus invites us to sort of follow him in this way that's kind of incompatible with the hurried lifestyles we find ourselves in a hurried lifestyle where we're always under, the system is always under stress to go, go, go and get it done and find the solution in that place of, I don't know, sort of desperation. It's very tempting to turn to a quick fix and, a, and an easy win. But Jesus invites us to a different pattern of life. One that's all about Relationships abiding with God, abiding with Jesus and with one another and developing meaningful relationships and service and love to those who are in need. Throughout this whole series, you can see it on the board back here, we've been 
I've been asking you to join me in prayer and dreaming in this wilderness space that we find ourselves in and saying, what kind of church do we want to be? And the answers have just been exciting and encouraging. If you haven't had a chance to go back there and read over some other post-it notes, please do before you leave today. There's lots of different themes that we can pull from this. It's clear here that there's a heartbeat for service and outreach and getting outside the walls of the church. It's also clear to me that we've actually never cared about what the walls of our church actually look like or where we worship. It's always been about the gathered community. It's always been about what God is doing through and among us to then go and be the revolution outside whatever walls we are worshiping within. And I'm so grateful for that, even if there's a referee Jesus on the wall, right? (laughs) I am not going to ask if we can take it with us. Can you confirm that that was not here when we were growing up? I don't think it was. I think we would have remembered that. (laughs) Sorry. But what I am grateful for... So we have never been a church that's cared about where as much as who, as much as who we are, who we are about, who we are worshiping, and who we are serving. What I'm grateful for is that, you know, every, we are humans, but that there's a heartbeat here to stay true to the mission of Jesus Christ that's been set before us which is a life of humility and self-giving love and service to the least of these. It's a life of dying to ourselves, which means the strategies of quick fixes for success of church and quick growth and outreach and, and all kinds of different things that we could sell in our consumer-driven culture, where church, I think, sometimes is tempted to seek out that success. It's a constant temptation among church leadership, I know, not just here, but in general. And I'm thankful for the example of Christ who teaches us how to endure, who teaches us the more important things. Not that look good and we think might serve our purposes when really they're only serving our own kingdoms, but he shows us the more important way of relationship and abiding with God and with one another. And friends, that just takes time. Developing those kinds of relationships. And so as much as I want to, the truth is we can't rush off from this wilderness place we are in. As much as I want to rush off from (laughs) the referee Jesus, I swear in my mind sometimes he has a whistle. (laughs) He doesn't, though. He's ready to blow it on me anytime I, like, say something heretical. But it's not there. It is. Metaphorically speaking, as much as we want to rush off from this place we are in of uncertainty, the truth is, as long as we trust in God, this is a test for us of trusting in God and his care and provision in every moment, believing that he's done it before, God's been faithful, and so move, do it again. Anything that doesn't serve the kingdom of God in our hearts, and our plans, and our lives, let it fall away. 
if we focus on the more important things, my friends, I believe that God will provide, that the way will become clear, that we will stay true to the mission that Jesus has placed before us, and that we will continue to join God in the revolution of transforming lives through teaching and serving. Not in five quick steps to quick church growth and reaching X amount of hundreds of people by the end of next year. But by being a community that sojourns together in the way of Jesus. And witnessing to his love and his freedom. Because that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need another quick fix. Because that's honestly all it sells us these days. What the world needs is the security of relationship with Jesus Christ the assurance that we have from being in community with God and with one another. And so friends, I want you to know that our one board and our vision team, we've still been praying and working and doing our homework, and I ask that you keep praying for God's provision, for God's direction. You're like, are you building us up to some big announcement? I'm not. Isn't that fun? What I'm asking is that you keep joining me on this journey. And we'll keep doing the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing. And I believe and trust that in God's timing, God will provide. As we saw God do again and again and again throughout the story of Scripture and honestly in our own lives. We probably could have done a whole series on our own testimonies of how we've seen God provide in the life of this church and in our lives. As much as we might want to. As much as we don't like the discomfort of an in-between time and not knowing and not having everything so clear and organized and put together on my checklist, we can't hurry off from this place. It's in this place where we meet God, and it's this place that's preparing us for what's to come. It's a refining period, and I am so grateful that I get to be refined with you. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for who you are and for your promises. We give you thanks that your, your promises are sure and that even in this in-between, just unfamiliar place that we haven't necessarily been before, God, we thank you that this is a place of holy ground where you meet us. Because wherever we gather... As we seek to worship you, God, we know that your spirit is among us. And so, God, we just thank you for the encouragement that's been given, for these reminders of how you have provided in the past. And we trust and rest in your provision again and in your grace, knowing that in Jesus Christ, we truly have all that we need, sufficient that grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And so we give you thanks and we give you the glory above it all and pray that we have the courage to continue following the way of Jesus today and in the days to come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.